Please turn back to that psalm that we were considering this morning, Psalm 128. Psalm 128. I'll read the psalm again before we start this afternoon. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Uh, I said in opening this up, or at least beginning to open this up this morning, that what we have here is a picture that the psalmist is drawing of the man who fears the Lord and the blessing uh, that God has promised to that man who fears God and walks in his ways. And how that as the psalmist paints this picture for us, he moves from the general in verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, to more personal and specific application beginning at verse 2 when you eat the labor of your hands and he goes on to speak of the wife and the children and and one of the things that I mentioned was that it really takes focus on the man in his home and how that man in his home is walking in the ways of God and so we talked a little bit about his labor and how that labor relates back to his domestic sphere and also how that labor, in that labor, he finds satisfaction not only in the fruit of the labor of his hands, but in the God who gives the fruit of the labor of his hands. Now notice, as we come back to this this afternoon, in this picture, that you not only have a man that's satisfied in the work that God has given him, but you have a man at his table in his home with his wife and his children around him. And they are, the picture that's painted is that the wife and the children around the table and in his home are flourishing, are flourishing. Which means that this man who fears God not only is someone who provides for his family's material needs, but I would put it this way. He is also a present force for spiritual good in his home. This psalm that we have here before us is not merely suggesting temporal or outward or worldly blessings upon the man who fears God. Its aim is the spiritual good done through the man who fears the Lord. And we'll talk about that again in just a moment at the end of this message. But the ultimate scope of this whole picture can be found in verses 5 and 6 when he closes by saying, The Lord bless you out of Zion. May you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, all of this psalm has as its ultimate scope the spiritual people of God. Again, we'll come back to that in just a moment. I simply draw that out very briefly at the very beginning 
to say that what we have here and what the psalmist is describing for us in this man is a man who is a present force for spiritual good in his home. First, the psalmist says to us in verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit would describe our wives to us this way, men. And it's meant, the description is meant to send a very clear message to us as men in our homes. Vines are tender and they need something upon which to grow. The language here is actually that we find in verse 3, that your wife shall be like a fruitful vine by the sides, or some translations render it in the sides of your house. So the picture that's drawn here is a wife as a vine who's growing up the sides of your house. Or some commentators say that the illustration is that you have all of these rooms in the house and there in the very center in, of the home is a courtyard. And at, in the center of that courtyard is this vine that's growing up along the walls. Whatever the case may be, I think the illustration is clear and the message to us as men who fear God is clear. Our, our wives, husbands, need support. They need our support. God has designed it to be that way. They need the sturdy, steady arbors of your life to cleave to and to flourish. Which means that they need you present in the home. They need you faithful the husband of one wife. And in saying that, men, I don't just say, not a man who's out gallivanting around and has other women outside of the home. But I mean a man who is faithful in the depths of his soul to his wife. That he looks upon her and her alone. They need us to be faithful. And we live in a culture and we live in a generation where this is a very acute danger that we face as men. And if we are allowing our hearts and our minds and our eyes to roam, we are failing to be the support that our wives need. They need you present. They need you faithful. They need you attentive. Which means... Not only that they need you there, but they need you paying attention to what's happening there. And again, I'm not unmindful of the temptations that oftentimes threaten to draw us away. And men, I am speaking directly to you today, though I know that these things, some of them can be applied to 
women as well, and anyone else that may be in the home as well. But I, I'm saying this to you, that this, men, that this is also a peculiar temptation that we face in our day with these gadgets that we carry around in our pockets. That though we may be sitting in our armchair in our living room, we're a thousand miles away from our families and our wives. And we're not giving them the support, the steady, sturdy arbors of our life to cleave to. And I would say this also, that they need you walking with Christ and they need you strong in the faith. Our wives need something that they can lean upon. And brethren, if we're not walking steadfastly with Christ, if we're neglecting our fellowship and our communion and our devotion and our praying and our seeking to be faithful to Christ and walk with Him, it will have an effect on our wives. It will. You may say, or it may be in the minds of some, I don't know, well, she has the Lord to lean upon. Why are you laying such great responsibilities at the feet of men when our wives, especially those who profess faith in Christ, have his strong arm to lean upon? And fair enough. He is to be her strength and he is to be her salvation. Yet, Notwithstanding that truth, God has ordained and so structured the family unit as to make you, men, husbands, a means of facilitating her faith and her growth in Christ. And when you see, if you look out, and you see a woman flourishing in spite of her husband, we're to recognize that is not the normal order. Bless God for His grace. And He is the one who gives the growth to her no matter what. But if a woman is flourishing in faith in spite of her husband, if he's not leading, if he's not being that strong, steady support that she needs, that's not the normal order. And more often than not, though we may look out and say, well... God can help her grow. More often than not, the woman whose husband is failing in his duties is a woman whose faith is tested and is tried. And she has an undue burden placed upon her that she was never designed to carry. And though she may persevere by the grace of God, it is not without strain upon your wife and not without sorrow and not without some very real negative spiritual outcome. So men, I'm calling you, the psalm is calling you, God's word, God himself is calling us to be present and to be sturdy and to be faithful and to not put that undue strain upon your wife. She's pictured here as a vine. And vines cleave. And vines grow. And if there's not the steady, sturdy support of the arbors of our life, or the arbor in general, in the case of a true vine, then it lays flat on the ground 
and it doesn't bear fruit. Vines also need to be tended and they need to be cultivated and they need to be watered and they need light and they need our protection. Listen, turn to Isaiah with me just to give you uh, an illustration of what I'm saying here. This is God speaking of His vine. Isaiah chapter 27 and in verses 2 and 3 we read this. In that day sing to her a vineyard of red wine. Now notice how God speaks of His vine. I the Lord keep it. I water it every moment lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. And of course in John chapter 15 our Lord uses the same imagery of the vine and He says of His Father, My Father is the husbandman. My Father is the one that never ceases to watch over His vine and to tend to His vine and cultivate the vine and water the vine and protect the vine. Husbands, Christ has laid this great responsibility at our feet as well. Your wife is your vine. Your wife is your vine. And we're told, Ephesians chapter 5, one of those key texts that so often is used with regard to the husband and wife relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife, Paul says, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Let me ask you, men, how many of you are loving yourself by the way that you're loving your wife? You wouldn't neglect your own body. You wouldn't fail to feed your own body. You wouldn't fail, I hope, to bathe and to clothe and to protect your own body. And our wives have become one with us. And therefore, we are called to do the same for her, to nourish her, to protect her, to feed her, to water her, with the word. And the man who fears the Lord takes that seriously. Men, I would say this you have a vine to tend to, and you better be doing it in reliance upon Christ. I've always been fascinated by Ephesians chapter 5. And the reason that I'm so fascinated with it is for two reasons, really. 
One is that we're actually called to love our wives as Christ. What an impossible task. The other thing that fascinates me so much is that this comes after Paul says to those people, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And everything that follows can be chased back to that one statement. That if we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit, then it is an impossibility for us to do those things which follow thereafter. And therefore, not only do we have a vine to tend, and not only should we take it seriously and see the great and the high calling that God has placed upon us as husbands, but brethren, if you will do this, you must rely upon Christ. Well, what does this mean practically for us? What is, what is it that we ought to be doing to protect and to feed and, the, and to water? Well, I would put it like this. We need to be praying for her. Do you pray for your wife? I don't just mean every now and again, but I mean daily as a staple of your life of prayer that you are bringing your wife before the throne of grace and asking God's blessing upon her that she would be a fruitful vine in the heart of your house. Do you pray with her? God help us to do this. Speak with her. Encourage her. Lead her. Live with her in an understanding way, giving her honor as to the weaker vessel, as being an heir together of the grace of life. And perhaps to put it negatively, and I hope that it will only serve to stir us all the more, but if we're neglecting our wives in any of these ways, if we're being unfaithful, if we have wondering eyes, wondering hearts that lust, if we're absent, though present, absent, if we're not watering her with the word of life, if we're not shining the gospel light upon her, if we're not leading the way, if we're not leading the way, If we're not leading the way in our commitment to walking with and worshiping Christ in the home, and if we're not leading the way in walking with and worshiping Christ in the public gatherings, and if this psalm is true, we can have no good hope of her flourishing and being fruitful. Now, whether she flourishes or doesn't flourish, the growth, the growth is of the Lord. But the emphasis for us as men, the emphasis is placed upon the responsibility that we have to be tending to our vines, to be ensuring that she has that which is necessary, that she can grow and leave the rest to God. But if we are neglecting, then we can have no good hope of what this psalmist says. The man who fears the Lord, his wife, his wife shall be like a fruitful vine. And 
we will give an account. We will give an account of this. I want to say one last thing about the man's relationship with his wife. The emphasis here in verse 3 is her fruitfulness. Her fruitfulness. The vine, I think this is beautiful. Again, if we can keep the imagery in front of us in this picture that's hanging on this wall in this exhibit called happiness. The vine produces fruit. That's what it does. Its wood is not good for anything. It's too thin. It's too hollow. It's too weak. Uh, only to be, it's, I think in Ezekiel it says it's only good to be thrown away and burned. That's what Christ says as well. If it doesn't produce fruit, the, the wood of the vine is only good for being burned. The whole point, the whole purpose of the vine is that it produces fruit, which is to be cherished and to be enjoyed. And as we as men who walk in the fear of the Lord live steady, faithful, God-fearing lives present in our homes and committed to cultivating our brides, God says she will flourish, she will produce all kinds of fruit, not just the fruit of children, but of care and of wisdom and of honor and of industry, and of righteousness, and of mercy. We'll look at all of that, God willing, next week when we focus on the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. That's what God says, though. That she will produce fruit. She will be a fruitful vine. And she will produce all kinds of fruit. And the man who fears the Lord sees all this. And he takes deep delight in her. So that what we do in the cultivating and the tending of the vine doesn't become something that we wake up and we say each day, I have to do this, I have to tend to this woman that God has given to me. What this means, men, is that we are actively in, called to endeavor to delight ourselves in our wives. Are we doing that? That's something that we're commanded to do. Proverbs 5.18, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Ecclesiastes 9.9, 9, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Ezekiel's wife was called the desire of his eyes. And this is something that's highlighted, I believe, here in this picture of the godly man in his home. Matthew Henry said this, not about this text. I think it was from Genesis chapter 2. But he said this, and, and I, I thought it was very helpful at least to keep this in mind. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm, to be protected by him, and near his heart, to be beloved. Are we cherishing, not just nourishing, but cherishing our wives? The man who fears God does that. And God says his wife will be a fruitful vine when he engages in that. But contained within this portrait is not only the godly husband with his wife, but also the godly father with his children. Now, I realize 
that right now I'm taking what was already a thin audience, the men, and I'm narrowing it down even more because there's not many of us men in here who still have our children in the home. And so you men whose children have been raised, I think there are some things that can be learned still, even in what I'm about to say for you all, but pray for us younger men who still have children around our tables. Because as the psalmist paints the picture here, he not only is painting this man sitting at his table with the sweat of the brow upon his face from his labors, his cup in his hand with a smile upon his face, and his wife there in the heart of his home flourishing, but he also is painting a picture of a godly father with his children surrounding his table. He says, he calls them here an olive plant. He says, in the, uh, your children like olive plants, like shoots, like sprigs around your table. And the whole idea behind the imagery here is these young shoots springing up and clustering around the base. You've got the olive tree, and I don't know if you've ever seen an olive tree, but an olive tree, as it grows and it matures, it becomes this, this big, almost gangly-looking thing, and it twists, and, and the, the, the wood, it's a very unique tree. But the picture that we have here, the imagery, is that around this this olive tree that's established and mature are these young shoots that are coming up and clustering around the base and they're partaking of the root and they're partaking of the fatness and they're partaking of the life of the good olive tree. That's what olive trees do. And fathers, Vester, Manuel, there's only a couple of us in here right now who still have children in our home. That's what we're called to. We're the base. You're the trunk from which your children feed and draw spiritual nourishment. And the responsibility, men, for this spiritual nourishment of our children is also laid squarely at our feet. When Paul would address matters of the care and the training of your children, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Fathers... Fathers, not mothers, not grandparents, not nannies, not schools, but fathers. Dads, for those of us who still have the children in the home, but those of you who do not, you and I, you and I are inescapably called to bear that weight of responsibility as well. They're not young olive trees or branches or shoots or sprigs cluttering around the fruitful vine that's in the heart of your house. That's not the picture. That's not the imagery. Your children, men of God, like olive plants around your table. And I think there are several aspects worth noting here. Firstly, this. A godly man realizes the blessing that children are. Notice in the psalm 
prior to this. I think the two go together, Psalm 127 and 128. But notice in Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, he says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And then verse 5, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are heritage. Children are a blessing. The olive plant, the imagery that's used in Psalm 128, the olive plant was considered to be a source of prosperity. It was considered to be a source of wealth. And repeatedly, reference is made to the, in the scriptures to the loveliness and to the beauty and to the goodness of the olive tree. Repeatedly in the scripture, uh, reference is made to the usefulness of the oil, which we're told honors God and honors men. And so men, the children in your home are here called olive plants so that we might be reminded they're not a burden. They're a blessing. They're the future of our stock. They're the future of our lineage. And God willing, they're the future of His stock and the future of His lineage. And therefore, we're to recognize and we're to seek to cultivate this in our children. And the reason that I say that is because I know that children at times, because of the growth and because of their natural bent and tendencies towards sin and the bickering that can take place and the disobedience that can take place and the problems that they can oftentimes present, it makes it feel... Like they're a burden. They are not. They're a blessing. Never look upon our children as a burden. Never look upon our children as, I've just got to go hide myself away somewhere to get away from them. Please don't do that. We're to seek to cultivate this blessedness in our children. And how is that going to happen? How are they going to grow? How are they going to grow? How are they going to flourish? How are they going to be strong? How are they going to grow up to be fruitful? And I would say it this way. One way is by our having our roots, men, sunk deep down in the spiritual soil of faith. As I was doing some research to prepare for this, and I was just reading uh, different aspects, different characteristics about the olive tree and how the shoots come up around the olive tree. One of the things that stuck out to me that I thought was very interesting about the olive tree is that the root system of the olive tree is so robust that it is capable, the tree itself is capable of restoring itself even when everything above ground, all the above ground structure of the tree has been destroyed. It's able to restore itself because of the depths of the root system that it has. And one of the biblical principles that we find in Scripture over and over again in this connection to a man in his home that exists 
is how that, excuse me, I misspoke there, the biblical principle that we find in connection to that is how the root is always connected to the fruit. Uh, I'll give you one example uh, so that we can get to the point that I'm trying to drive at. Romans 11:16. if the root is holy, so are the branches. So here's my point. The godly man recognizes the necessity of the health of his own root and the influence of his own spiritual life upon his children. Paul tells the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so, fathers, I would say to us, see to it that you have strong roots for the sake of your children. They depend on you, not just to go out and to make a dollar, not just to go out and to have that which is necessary to put food on the table. They depend on you for their growth, natural growth, but spiritual growth. God has brought them into this world by means of you. Have you ever thought, this, this, is, this is a startling reality to me, a blessed reality but a startling reality that when you and I make the decision to bring children into this world with God's blessing, that when those children are conceived, at that moment, a never-dying soul, a never-dying soul is born. And God says it's your responsibility to take care of them and to teach them. The other way that we can aid our children in flourishing spiritually is not only by having our roots sunk deeply down into the Lord Jesus Christ, but also by, I would call it, a purposeful investment in them. Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't unnecessarily frustrate them. Don't maliciously wound or humiliate them. That's what that means. Don't provoke your children to wrath. That's part of what it means. The olive shoots won't grow if we step on them and if we crush them and if we cut them down to the ground with a heavy hand if we take the sharp blade of unrealistic expectations or mean-spiritedness, if we're unpredictable, if we're untrustworthy, all of those things serve to provoke our children to wrath. And Paul says, don't do that. But I want to add something to that, because I think that that's one of those things that might be a little bit on the surface. But I also want to, grow, uh, I want to add this that they won't grow and we will be provoking them to wrath if we neglect them. Sometimes they need to be pruned. Sometimes they need to be shaped. Several years ago, I was listening to another man talk about Psalm 127 and he was using this illustration of the arrows in the hand, children being the arrows in the hand of a warrior. And he was talking about how warriors, 
would go and they would find a young tree, green, the branches green, young, tender. And they would begin to, on a daily basis, go to that tree and they would take those branches and they would bend the branches into a straight position. And the next day they would go back and the branch would be bent again the way that they found it the day before. And so that warrior would then bend it straight again. And he did this day by day by day until at last that tree had matured and that branch was straight and then he could take it and he could use it as an arrow to put into his quiver. And the whole point of the illustration was, our children are like young green branches. They have a native tendency to be bent towards sin. And it's our duty day by day by day to go to them and to reshape them over and over and over again with the Word of God and with truth and with discipline and instruction. They won't grow if we neglect them. We'll provoke them to wrath through our neglect. Paul says, bring them up. And I think that language in itself is instructive, just like shaping that branch. Bring them up, feed them, nourish them, shape them, prune them in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And I would just make this note. Bring them up is active. It's not passive. If we ignore them, if we're passive, if we cut off from them the emotional and the relational nutrients they need, they will die. R.L. Dabney wrote this. This is the most important business done on earth. It is the one business for which the earth exists, he says. To it, all politics, all war, all literature, all money-making, I would add all entertainment, all hobbies, all personal preferences ought to be subordinated. And every father, Dabney says, especially ought to feel every hour of the day that next to making his own calling and election sure, this is the end for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth to bring his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And men, through us, God has been pleased to bring these children into this world. And to us, has been, he's been pleased to commit their spiritual nourishment among other, other things. And I would say, just like I said with our wives, we will be held to account, not for the outcomes, but we will be held to account for the ways in which we train them, the time that we spent with them, the affection and patience we exercised toward them, and the steady hand of discipline given to them for their good. Well, let me put it another way. They need our constant manly guidance. They need your attention and time. They need your patience. They need to feel your strong arms around them. They need your godly example before them. 
remember their young, tender olive shoots. They're impressionable. And what we say and what we do and what we do not say and do not do will leave a lasting imprint upon them. That's our task. That's our task. I think it's still your task. Even if your children are outside of the home, it's still our task to be nourishing them and helping them, praying for them, being a strong base for them. The olive tree is a hardy tree with a deep root system. The olive tree can live and it can produce fruit and it can reproduce olive shoots for thousands, thousands of years. And as one olive tree matures and grows older, the younger, tender plants shoot up all around it and they refresh it and they perpetuate its own vitality. And thus shall the man be blessed, we're told here, who fears the Lord. He will see his children's children. His children's children. There are two more things in closing that I want to say, and I'll say these briefly. I want you to see this in this picture that's being drawn here, because I think this is important. The first is, if we're standing back and using sanctified imagination if we can, and there we are in that art gallery, and we're looking in this exhibit called Happiness, and there with the accent lights is this picture of the godly man in his home. And as we stare at that picture and look at the table and the fruitful vine and the olive shoots and this man, there's one other thing there that we see. It's the picture within the picture. Hanging on the wall in this picture, within eyeshot of this man and his family, is the centerpiece of their home. Mount Zion in Jerusalem and the Israel of God. There behind that man on the wall next to his table is, if you will, a picture hanging there of Christ, the King, the bridegroom with his wife, the church, and all his people gathered around his table, fruitful and flourishing. You see, the man that fears God always has his eye toward Christ and the good and the prosperity and the peace of Christ's church. He and his family are a living illustration of this. I think that's one of the things that separates him from the rest of the world. He realizes the family is not an end in itself. The familial blessings of God upon the family is to the end that the church might be built up and that God's name might be honored. This psalm is a song of ascents. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. There's several of them here grouped together. It's one of 15 songs that were sung as they journeyed towards Zion for the worship of God. So picture that. They're singing a song of ascent about the family as the man of God who fears God and walks in the fear of God all the day long leads his family to the place of worship. That's what's happening there. 
We're told in the Bible that the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. And so it is with the man who fears Jehovah. He sings with the psalmist. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. He sings with the psalmist. Your wife will be a fruitful vine. Your children like olive plants all around your table. But as the song reaches its crescendo, we hear him singing something akin to the words of glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. The man who fears God has a high and a right view of that place wherein God specially dwells with his people and he employs all of his energies towards leading his family there. That's what this psalm is painting a picture of. He knows that's my only hope, Christ. And he knows that's their only hope, my family. I said there were two things. The second is this. See in that picture the sparkle of hope in his eye. That as he lives and that as he conducts himself this way, he has good hope and a strong confidence to believe that God will bless, that he will indeed see his children's children as children of the King of Kings and the continued peace of God's church. Everything else like chaff is blown away. Everything else is blown away. But oh, that my wife would flourish under the headship of me and my home, but under the headship of Christ my King. And oh, that my children would flourish and that they would be the children of the King of Kings. Everything else is chaff. At the end of the day, the whole conclusion of the matter is this, that this world perishes and that only Christ's kingdom and his people stand. So for us men, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. And remember this, Psalm 103, 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Let us labor in the fear of God. Lord, we pray that you would help us. And oh, as we look at this picture of this ideal man of God, Lord, every single one of us who are men in this room, can see how many times we've fallen short of that picture. Lord, we thank you for your mercy that endures for those who fear you. And we lean upon your mercy, not only asking that you would forgive us for the many times that we have failed to be godly men, to be present in our homes, to lead and instruct and nourish and cherish our wives and to be a strong base 
that brings our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Oh, God, you know how many times we have fallen short of that. And yet, Lord, you know our hearts. We cry out to you that you would help us, that you would forgive us and that you would strengthen us. We want to walk in the fear of you. And we do long, Lord, that our home should be a beacon of hope and light. Help us as men to be faithful to what you've given to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.